The Academic Podcast Agency. As I mentioned, I'm going out to Alberta, um, and the religious beliefs of the um, the indigenous groups out there tend to be a, so I'm told, um, tend to be a mixture of adopted Catholicism and also this um, traditional animistic um, approach to, to nature, that nature has a, a spirit which um, it's important to commune with. Um, I wonder really if you have any responses to that idea of um, nature as a spirit, but also as a natural scientist, um, are you dismissive that um, religion or belief has a has a place in in dealing with these matters. Well, it's um, you don't have a choice. I mean, it is there, um, and uh, you must respect it. Um, and people have their own rights to think what they what they think. Um, and um, more than that, I don't know what you can say. Um, uh, it, it, Expressing these things in religious terms is is um, a complicated thing and is inevitably involves simplifications and, and if you take them to extreme, absurdities. Um, and, uh, however, uh, it is their belief and that they have a right to say it. And if they, what's more, if it's their environment, um, <laughs> they have a strong uh, right to freedom of action. Hmm. So do you think um, there is an issue with, you use the words there, their environment? Um, do you think there is a territory issue? Um, well, one of the great things, of course, is that, is, is that a full, um, our understanding of, of ecology makes it absolutely clear that there are hardly any microecosystems anymore. Uh, there are, we, are, we are one very, very complicated system. I mean, it's not so long ago, and in my lifetime even, uh, that... that responsible town councils poured untreated sewage into the sea on the grounds that the sea was very big and it washed it all away. There was no problem. And uh, and it wasn't only sewage, but it was always industrial waste. And the, the consequences we now know uh, that um, that if you put it on one side of the Atlantic, the other side's going to feed it in the end. And uh, that remarkable thing of Cousteau, who said, you know, I'm now in the middle of the Pacific as far away as I can get from any land, and look what I found on the surface of the sea, plastic. So um, we have to regard the world as, as one coherent ecosystem. You can't get away from it. Of course, you, 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 um, you, at your immediate doorstep, you, you have more direct action than you do on something over a, th a thousand miles away. But nonetheless, um, uh, the unity of the ecosystem is, 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 is perfectly clear. Do you yourself um, do things that the rest of us uh, to like recycle and uh... yes uh, and and um, but only out of a kind of um, ritual con uh, ritual um, well as a ritual really I mean I, I do it very carefully I mean you know I fish out little bits of plastic and think oh that can't go into the paper and put it uh, whether or not uh, our wonderful eco crews take the stuff away and put it all in the same bin, I don't know. They could well be. But uh, no, I certainly do those things. And the reason why we've got it on at this moment, uh, I've got um, double glazing being installed downstairs because I think that that's very important. 
Um, and, and if you ask me, if I, have I done the, the arithmetic between how much energy it costs in building a new double framing and the, the people who are involved in installing it and the cost of doing it, is that more or less equated by what you will save on your heating bills? Um, I can't give you the answer, and I don't care. I mean, I, I, on, in this issue, I, I just feel more comfortable if I was double glazed, that's all. It's interesting that you used the word tradition there, and I think there is a... Um... The, the way we respond to our cultural norms, our traditional norms, are very interesting. Um, you know, and the West certainly does have very, very strong cultural norms. Um, I wanted to touch on uh, a programme that you commissioned years and years ago as um, in your capacity as controller of BBC Two, um, Kenneth Clark's Civilization, and that unanswerable question of what is civilization. Um, has stayed with me all throughout my, my formative years. And obviously, he never really gives a kind of succinct answer. Um, but well, I wonder... well, he says right in the first program, what is civilization? I don't know, but I know it when I see it, which is not a bad answer. So, in the spirit of that, um, do you think that our goals and aspirations are too short-term? Um, are we lacking a, a belief in some kind of expansive future of humanity. Um, now we worse off not having the, the spiritual conviction of our forefathers. Well, we're worse off in as much as it makes life much more difficult. Um, and uh, it's very easy or comparatively easy if you've got a moral code that says black and white all the time. Um, doing this is okay and doing that is a sin. Um, and uh, that makes life comparatively easy. I mean, there are problems within that, of course. But but if you don't, if you don't have a clear code of behaviour, as um, as many religions prescribe, it does make daily actions more, um, well, more. Uh, you, I suppose you just don't you don't don't think about them. Okay, so. Um... Excuse the breadth of this question, um, but it's something I wanted to ask you and, and to allow you to answer as you wish. So, as you say, you're 90 years old next year, um, extremely well-travelled uh, man with a huge prolific um, output of, of creative work. I wonder at this point in your life um, as a natural scientist and, and also as a, an anthropologist perhaps, um, who are Homo sapiens, and how important is their creative capacity? Well, who are Homo sapiens is, you know the answer to that, and or unless you're suggesting that there are sections of humanity that are a different species, which is a very dangerous road to go down, which certainly Hitler was on the way of going down. Um, so that who, who they are, um, are is clear. It's extraordinarily variable, species, that is true. Um, the, the huge difference between humanity and, um, and the natural world um, is that we have a way of externalizing knowledge. Um, and we, can, we do it with writing and various other forms, but we can. We can, we can externalize knowledge. You can put it down there on the floor. And there it is, and, and, and anybody with a proper education can pick it up and share it and acquire it. 
that makes a simply enormous difference. Uh, Darwinian selection is now out of the window, as far as Homo sapiens is concerned. Um, no other animal has that. I mean, there are animals with traditions, with traditions of behavior, but they require face-to-face. -face. Um, humanity has got the power to store knowledge across time and across place. Um, and that gives us huge power. Um, we uh, haven't yet got the wisdom to handle it properly, but, but that's, that's what makes us different from the rest of the world. And I know that uh, music is something that's extremely important to you. Time and time again, I read in your interviews that um, it appears as the other, other half of your life almost. And I know that you um, are constantly presenting um, certain musical events. Or um, I really enjoyed the interview that you did with Björk um, a couple of years ago. Um, how important do you think are our creative capacity is, as human beings in the context of of, I suppose, technology, but also in how we, uh, how we manage to navigate our way out of this current um, climate crisis. I, if a person has no musical appreciation at all, he is missing um, a form of communication uh, which, can, which alone can say certain things. Um, and uh, to that extent, his, his life is impoverished. Um, I cannot pretend that someone who's deaf or tone deaf, um, I, I, I can't say that his life is all that poorer than my life. Um, maybe he's got other things which he finds uh, of absorbing interest. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I've got lots of blindnesses. Um, I don't, I hardly ever read a novel. Uh, and um, uh, one of my mentors, and indeed Nancy's mentors, Hugh Weldon, used to say, "You're, uh, you're uncivilized. You, you don't, you just don't understand what the Brontes said, or you don't understand about uh, George Eliot." or Tolstoy, or, um, and to that extent he's right. And I, I occasionally, periodically through my life, haven't done recently, but I, I certainly when I was about 19, I suddenly realised that people were talking things about things I knew nothing, and I drew up a list of things that I ought to, thought I ought to read. Um, and I uh, stolidly went through this lot and ticked them off, you know, and I ought to know what Wuthering Heights was about or what Dickens was about or and George Eliot was about, um, and, and indeed Tolstoy. But, um, but it's not part of my life, and I'm aware that I um, am deficient in that. That's a, that's a little spot of blindness in my awareness of the world and understanding of the world. Um, but you only have 24 hours in the day, and uh, if I need to understand a bit more about the latest genetics, and uh, then um, I'm, it's my choice. It, it's really interesting you um, quote Hugh Weldon, because Nancy was very much that character in my life. She was always um, giving me lists of books that I mm. should read. So, and Most of them I think I've, I've got through by now, but that idea that art somehow... Um, constitutes your your fiber which allows you to be productive and allows you mm. to be you know a, 
a kind of stronger force in the world. Mm. That I've always found very interesting. Um, again, quite a broad question, but in that spirit, what what does what does playing the piano perhaps, or what does your your um, recreational time listening to music? What does that mean to you? What does that give to you? Um, I don't know that it. I couldn't express what it means. I know uh, that I feel uh, thwarted if I can't play the piano uh, for um, a number of days. I, but let me get it right. I mean, I don't sit down and dash off a, a, a Chopin scherzo, you know. I mean, uh, I'm, I am very, very plodding um, and, uh, and continually tell myself repeatedly, many times a year, well, next month I'll go, I'll go back to lessons and really start. Or, and now I've bought this new score, I will sit down and I'll really learn it and I will I will take my scales and I will repeat this particular bar over and over again. I don't do it. I go back to, you know, stumbling through things. Um, and I don't rate that very highly. <laughs> I mean, I don't, um, I don't see it as a great psychological release or anything. Um, what is a psychological release is going to a Bach mass. Um, that is undoubtedly among the great moments. But Beethoven too, I mean, you know, mass in the Missus Solemnis or, um, uh, or his opera Fidelio. Um, they produce, they stimulate extraordinary emotions, yes. Um, picking my way through a, a Bach fugue doesn't. I just just irritates me. I just get irritated with my incompetence. So you feel like it's a discipline, something you have to do to yourself if you're not enjoying it. No, I no, not anymore. Uh, no, uh, and I, I'm I, I'm not a very disciplined person, really. Really, that surprises me. With somebody that's had so much of a an output. You don't consider yourself. To oh be well, I don't call that a discipline. I mean, if you if if you are engaged in a person and part of the, your job is to turn out um, a script, you do it. That's not that's not discipline. Well, I suppose it is discipline, but it's but it's uh, not self-imposed. It's imposed from outside. I mean, literally, I I I get edgy if I've got nothing to do. But uh, that's different. How often does that happen? Um. Well, if I go for about three or four days and nobody cares tuppence whether I'm anywhere um, and whether I haven't written a commentary or I haven't recorded a commentary or done something, um, I begin to feel that I ought to pull myself together. No, well, no, I don't feel that. I just feel uh, unsatisfied. Climate change is a luxury issue. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that as a state. Um... I don't think it's a luxury issue uh, if you have any degree of social conscience. Um, uh, an economist, um, uh, I suppose, uh, the science of, of economics, if it is indeed a science, um, doesn't take account of emotions as far as I can see. Um, and um, uh, I mean, it results in child labour apart from anything else. <laughs> Um, and I, uh, I find it appalling to suppose that uh, our actions are all determined uh, by immediate reward. Uh, I don't believe that's true. 
Uh, and in any case, the the other aspects of of the economic system, which which gives jurisdiction of one person over other people, um, is um, if it's unguided by any moral basis, surely it must be uh, a great danger. In every case, every case where women have um, uh, control over their bodies, uh, where they have where they have literacy, uh, where they have appropriate uh, medical facilities, um, and as I say, political equality. Um, the birth rate falls, and there's no exception to that. Um, and uh, there are plenty of places where, in fact, that happens uh, within non-Western circumstances, like Kerala, for example, in India. Um, and that has to be the the one straw that we can uh, clutch in facing the population explosions. Uh, and a very good reason as to why uh, developed countries should give uh, economic aid to less developed countries. Um, so that's, as I said, one straw. And you may say, well, it's a pretty fragile straw. Well, it is. On the other hand, um, I sometimes think that, of course, of course, the, the decision is, is, is a moral one, in a sense. Um, and I, I sometimes think that moral attitudes can change much more quickly than we imagine. I mean, it came, it came as a huge surprise to me, at any rate, um, uh, that suddenly the, the, the Berlin Wall fell. I mean, the reasons for the Berlin Wall falling and for the communist model to suddenly disintegrate in Europe is still a mystery to me. Taking a farther uh, historical view, um, it is actually extraordinary, isn't it, that in the early decades of the 19th century, it was perfectly acceptable uh, in Western society that people should own other human beings as chattels. And yet within three, four, five decades, it became unthinkable for any civilized person to uh, accept what slavery meant. And that's a huge change worldwide you know, in, in attitudes. And I, I keep hoping that somehow or other there will be um, a, a change of attitude amongst the people of the, of the world uh, towards the environment. And there are signs that, that you see that. Um, so I'm just hopeful, but, uh, but I don't put it forward as a solution. I'm just saying it is one straw that we can clutch up. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the abolition of, of slavery. Um, in the Naomi Klein book, um, which has proved to be very popular on the subject of, of climate change, um, she uses that as an example of one of the few times in history when a civil agenda, um, an agenda of the people, a, a social movement, has beaten the interest of commerce. Um, and so she uses this as a, as a hope that actually, okay, social movements can um, trump the motivations of, yeah. of the market, as it were. However, worryingly, she points out that um, a lot of the slave owners in that time were paid huge um, recompenses 
by different banks and different world orders at the time for their loss of income in this, which, again, from this point in history, seems morally um, as corrupt as anything, doesn't it? I don't think that's corrupt. I think that's um, uh, a way of uh, um, of solving a, a practical problem. Um, and uh, I... <laughs> I mean, and, and it is a, a, um, a matter of, of, of conscience, after all. I mean, and, and you may say that all slave owners are intolerable people. Not, not much evidence that that's true. I mean, you could think of a lot of exceptions. I mean, um, in America, I mean, the presidents were perfectly responsible people who actually owned slaves. Lincoln. Due to the treaties that they signed several hundred years ago, there would be a case for, for paying the indigenous groups to keep the carbon in the ground and to not exploit their resources for the good of everybody else. Well, I know that for Obama this is a very strong line, that the answer is that they, they work together, that actually finance and the economy work together. The other side of the argument says you have to pull down the economic model in order to save the environment. Mm. Pulling down economic models is a fairly drastic thing. I mean, if you think about the French Revolution pulling down uh, an economic model, it did, but it also chopped off the heads of quite a lot of innocent people. Um, I think the uh, solution, if, if there is one at all, is the one which I've outlined earlier, which is that you actually use the economic system um, to achieve your own ends by producing energy uh, in a way that is much cheaper than energy that's based on carbon. There's a strong argument that by addressing a lot of environmental issues, you actually are addressing a lot of the issues surrounding equality. Um, and it's been said by um, a lot of more climate sceptic um, characters that, in fact, the Green Movement is a, it's a socialist conspiracy. Um, in that sense, do you see an alignment with environmental issues, with political issues? I don't think it's a socialist uh, tendency to want to remove poisons from the air. Uh, I don't think it's a socialist tendency to want to reduce the poisoning of the sea. Um, I think it's a moral uh, uh, question, but it's also practical in both circumstances. So you don't see it being so much political as social. Yeah, I mean, of course there is, there is a, I mean, underlying what, or one aspect of what you're saying is, uh, and putting it really coarsely, do you allow uh, people with no education and, uh, uh, and no experience of the world to have a major statement in what happens to their money? Um... And I think you, again, it comes to what I was saying, was that the people can't necessarily understand these things, but by and large they've got a good feeling for whether a man is a good chap or not, and whether he is well disposed, and whether he, he's acting in a way which uh, you quite like, you wouldn't mind him as a neighbour. And, and, and people get uh, are pretty good at judging that. And, but I can't judge a lot of the economic policies that I'm faced with. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. 
things fall apart. The centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Beautiful. Thank you very much for the um, classic Attenborough intonation. <laughs> My name is David Attenborough and I'm a maker of television programmes.